Today's reading comes from Matthew 5, 1, 2, and 7. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. You may be seated. As you're seated, let me pray for us. Father, we ask you that you today would convict us by your Holy Spirit, that you would strengthen us, that you would cause us to have a renewed resolve to serve you in every area of our lives. We thank you for this passage of scripture that, while being basic, is so challenging to the way that we live our lives. We ask you, God, for your help. We ask you that we would rightly receive it, that we would rightly internalize it, and then rightly extend this teaching into the way that we live our lives, that you'd be glorified in and through them, in every place that we go and in everything that we do. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, there are, are some weeks where getting ready to preach is just this absolute joy where it feels like I have the privilege of living on a mountaintop, meditating on the scriptures, spending time laboring in prayer, seeing what it is that God would have for us, for, for us as a community as we look at the text and as we try to understand where things are going and what this means for us. There's some weeks, it is abs- it's work, but it's work I wish you got to do. I, I, feel, I feel a little bit, feel, I don't know what's the, the right phrase, I feel a little bit guilty at times at the joy I have in work. And I know that that's, that's wrong, we should all have joy in work, I know. But it's, sometimes it's just, it's so amazing and I feel like I get to live into this and it's just this joy-fueled kind of, passion-inducing work that I get to do. I love my job. I love what I get to do. Some weeks are like that, and it's just absolutely brilliant. And then there was this week. And then there was this week. This week was not like that as I labored in this text. This week had a lot more of stop, repent of your sin, deal with your heart, recognize the blind spots that you have, and just how the scripture, this teaching of Jesus, exposed my heart, and how at times I'm indifferent to the poor, I'm indifferent to those who are suffering, I can be cold in that way in my heart, and I just thought, man, this is, this is challenging for me, and so you're going to see some of that as we look through this text. There's also times where, where I, I just recognize this week how I've, I've become a little bit complacent with ongoing unforgiveness or just holding on to a little bit of bitterness and it's just got a little root in my life. And I'm telling you, this week I was confronted by that. I was confronted by that. It's a challenge at times to enter into a text like this. We are listening in here to the very words of Jesus Christ, the greatest preacher who ever lived. We have a copy of the greatest sermon that he ever preached and that has ever been preached anywhere in the world, and it challenges us. I don't know how you're doing in the Beatitudes, these blessed statements at the beginning of Matthew 5. They are crushing me. They are crushing me. I know that I've talked to many of you and in your community groups, it's been a challenge for you as you kind of reorient yourself around the teaching of Christ in this way. It's challenging me too. Anytime we get to a text like this, and like some of the ones we've already looked at in these past weeks, and you go, man, that's challenging. Yeah, it challenged me first. It challenged me in the study and in the preparation and in having to repent of my sin and come before the Lord and ask for his mercy. Thankfully, he is a merciful God. But I love this because it is what I need. I need texts like this and the insightful words of Jesus. I need, I need them like I need a surgeon who opens me up with a scalpel and, and removes that heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh and then binds up the wound 
I, I think we need the words of Jesus to wound us at times, that we might recognize how we can rightly align ourselves and walk in the ways of his kingdom. And so I think this is one of those texts. It's an opportunity to learn how to love him more. It's an opportunity to learn to serve him more. It's an opportunity to obey him more and honor him more and love him more and surrender to him more. It says in verse 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The way that we've been translating blessed into our definition here is happy and flourishing and in right relations with God and others are the merciful for they, and it says they alone is the emphasis of the text. They and they alone shall receive mercy. Happy and flourishing and in right relations with God and others are the merciful for they and they alone shall receive mercy. As we get into it, here's the roadmap of how I will seek to navigate this this morning. We're going to look at what mercy is. We're going to look at what mercy does. And we're going to see how we receive mercy. What mercy is, what it does, and how we receive it. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So, what does mercy look like? Let's come at it from that angle. What does mercy look like? What does it look like to be a merciful person? Um, mercy is not language that maybe gets used in our culture so often. Um, at times, yes, within the church, but, but beyond, it's not the language we'd probably use Monday to Friday, 9 to 5 in our offices. We may use another word, though. We may use the word empathy. Empathy gets a lot of play today, and I think it's a good thing. We hear the word empathy being tossed around a lot. We also hear the word compassion. And, and empathy and compassion are aspects of what mercy really looks like. Empathy and compassion build into what mercy looks like. But, but I want to say I think mercy's better. I want to say mercy's better. Empathy is that feeling you get when you put yourself in someone else's shoes and you try to go for a walk in their shoes. It's, it's, it's when you put, put yourself in someone else's situation and try to walk that out in, their, in, your, in your life, try to understand where they're coming from. It's entering into the situation of another to seek to understand what it's like. It's trying to identify with them as much as possible. That's why I think empathy is a good thing in the cultural conversation going on around us. Compassion is, is kind of a next logical step as we look at this because compassion says that you feel it. Right? There's something about compassion that gets to our heart. Compassion says you feel it and you want the situation, whatever the situation looks like, you want it to change. You care. You are concerned over the issue that you see. And mercy looks like both empathy and compassion in that way. But mercy is not as abstract as compassion or empathy may be. In a sense, seeking, into, uh, seeking to enter into somebody else's pain and treat them the way that you would want to be treated if you were in their situation. It's kind of like mercy. Mercy's more than empathy and it's more than compassion. But it's because biblical mercy is connected to justice. So it's not just the feeling of empathy or the feeling of compassion. Mercy's connected to the act of being merciful. Doing something, showing mercy. So mercy then is more than a feeling. It's actually concrete. It's concretely seeking to enter into the situation to do something about it. Mercy is not abstract, it's concrete. 
And both mercy and justice are rooted in the character of God. And this is so important for us to understand. They're both rooted. Mercy is rooted in the character of God. It's part of who he is. So the merciful person who says, Jesus says, is blessed. He says, blessed are the merciful. The merciful person who is, who is the blessed person, happy and flourishing, blessed is the merciful person. The merciful person is empathetic, but not just in the sense of feeling the weight of another's pain and suffering. The merciful person actually wants to go beyond that, step into the pain and suffering with them, and in doing so, there's action that comes with mercy. It's not just an understanding, it's stepping into it in an active way. And the merciful person then is compassionate in that they care, And they mourn the state of the world as it is, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. They mourn the state of the world as it is. They want something to be done. But the merciful person goes beyond compassion, and they're not going to leave it at mourning or longing for things to be different in the situation. They're going to move into compassionate action for those who are in need. That's mercy. Somebody who sees how things are, And enters into that pain and suffering to be with that person. Somebody who feels compassion but goes beyond the feeling and enters in to do something about it. Does that remind you of anyone? Someone who sees how things are and enters into the mess himself to do something about it for the good of others. There's actually only one place in the New Testament where this exact phrase, merciful, is used. This exact word is used one other place in the New Testament. Let me show you in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. This is speaking of Jesus. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make a propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, just stop there. To become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of his people. Propitiation is is what removes the wrath of God. The wrath of God. In his holiness, he judges sin. And sin separates us from God. And in his goodness, he sent Christ as a propitiation for our sins. That means a wrath removal. Jesus goes to the cross and receives upon him the wrath of God that was destined and deserved by us. And it's removed because of the work of Christ. He became a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. The propitiation for the sins of the people is what allows us to enter into a full and blessed relationship with God. It is the most merciful act in history when Jesus Christ goes to the cross in our place to atone for our sins. Verse 18 says, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is speaking, verse 17 and 18, of Jesus' incarnation. When God becomes man, moves into the neighborhood with us. It's talking about Jesus' suffering when he did not sit just far off and sort of try to put himself in our situation and try to understand what it's like, but actually came. 
entered in, not just understanding what it's like to walk in the shoes of another, but he stepped in and walked in them. He entered into the mess himself. He was tempted and tried as we are, but was without sin. He suffered just like his people. Verse 18 says, because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, mercy, mercy is not abstract. Mercy is concrete. Blessed are the merciful because Jesus is merciful. So what does it look like to be merciful? I think we need to start with Jesus. If that's our starting point, we will do well to enter into the discussion of what it looks like to be merciful. So much of the ministry that Jesus did was in the vein of revealing himself as the merciful one. If, if you're just looking in the Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapters 5, 6, and 7 as we look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But when you move into chapter 8, you immediately begin to see a picture of this. Right after the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus cleanses a leper. And then he heals a centurion's servant from being paralyzed. And then he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Then he casts demons out of the afflicted. Those who were afflicted demonically, he casts them out and gives them their freedom. He heals many more who were sick with different kinds of illnesses. Matthew chapter 9, we move into there. He heals another paralytic. And then we meet a man who is a tax collector, which meant he was a local pariah. Nobody would deal with him. Nobody wanted to be in his community and nobody wanted him in their community. No religious leader would extend love and grace to a person like that. And Jesus says, why don't you come follow me? It's merciful. Jesus heals a woman who's got a problem with internal bleeding. He raises a little girl from the dead, and then when two blind men call out for mercy, he heals them and he restores their sight. And it says when Jesus looks out on the crowds toward the end of Matthew's gospel, in chapter, or toward the end of chapter 9 in Matthew's gospel, I think it's verse 36, it says Jesus looks out over the crowds, and he says that they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he has compassion on them. And because he has compassion on them, and he's merciful, not only feeling compassion, but entering in, he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. He looks out, and he sees the lost, and he says, the harvest is ready, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. He has compassion, but he's got a plan. See, the entire mission of Jesus is based on compassionate mercy. Jesus is merciful. Jesus is mercy incarnate. And that's just in the next two chapters after the Sermon on the Mount. We could keep going through Matthew's gospel and through Luke and through John. And we could go into the book of Acts and we could move into the letters of Paul and to the other letters that are written from Peter. And we could write to look at the letter of James. And we could look at the letter of Jude. And we could look at in Revelation in the way that Jesus mercifully forgives. And we could actually look all over and find this. If we're going to get to this mercy, if we're going to get to an understanding of what mercy looks like in our lives, we're going to try and figure out this beatitude and how we might be able to live into it. We need to see that there's actually two directions or two dimensions of what mercy is talking about. And I think both of them are deeply ingrained in the work of Jesus as our merciful high priest. So we need to contend with this. We need to be faced with this. Robert Gulick said, The biblical concept of mercy points in two directions. The pardon accorded one in the wrong and the kindness shown one in need. 
The pardon accorded one in the wrong and the kindness shown one in need. What he's saying is that mercy is wrapped up in kindness to those in need and it's wrapped up in forgiveness to those who have sinned. Let me show you two examples to help illustrate one of each of these. Kindness to those in need and forgiveness for those who've sinned. Kindness to the one in need. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, just a quick pro tip on this, you don't try to justify justify yourself before, it's not going to go well for you. You try to justify yourself before Jesus, like this lawyer did, you're going to get a response. He said to Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus said, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The fundamental question for us this morning, Christ City, is do we care? Do we care? And in our caring, what will we do about it? The good Samaritan had compassion and he cared. And Jesus says, this is what mercy looks like. And and a note, as many before me have observed, the good Samaritan did not go to the man who had been beaten and left half dead on the road and lean over to him and ask him, sir, did you deserve it? He saw someone in need and he had compassion and he acted. Sir, did those who beat you, did they beat you because you owed them money and you refused to pay? Because then that's your fault. Sir, are you mixed up with the wrong crowd? You got yourself into the wrong crowd? And the wrong crowd took you out and beat you? Or is this just a situation where a passerby gets robbed? Likely. But the good Samaritan does not ask. He offers mercy without condition. The blessed merciful do not ask why you are in the situation you are in. The blessed merciful ask how they can help. What He's saying is that mercy is wrapped up in kindness to the one in need. 
But secondly, that mercy is also forgiveness to the one in the wrong. Let me show you in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, where it says, Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Again, if you're asking Jesus a question, maybe don't answer it before Jesus answers it, or you look like kind of a Peter-type fool. How many times? Like seven? No, 77. Do you know what 77 means? 77 does not mean start counting. You know, with your wife, you're just like, okay, well, that's, that's 47 times I've forgiven her. Okay, 40. That's good. We still got another, you know, probably 20, 30 years. It'll be, we'll be okay. It's, it doesn't mean start counting. It means kind of an infinite amount of time. You keep forgiving. That's what you do. Verse 23, Jesus illustrates. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, what you need to know is that is an insurmountable amount of money. Like you might be sitting here and you go, I don't know. I've got a lot of money. Not this much money. Since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, just two, three months kind of wages. He owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him. He grabbed him by the throat. And he said, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So the fundamental question for us, Christ City, is how well do we treat those who have been or are in our debt in the sense that they have in the past or are currently sinning against us? And what will we do about it? It's a hard word from Jesus. You know, we're used to talking about Jesus and everybody thinks Jesus just sort of, oh, I just love, just love, love. What do you want to do with your life? Oh, well, that's really against everything I've commanded you, but I love. Nowhere in the Bible will you find that. God is holy. He's holy. And He's merciful. So we're, we're not used to at times reckoning with a hard statement of Jesus where he says, if you do not forgive your brother from the heart, this is what it looks like and what the Father will do with you. See, if you're in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I know some of you are not, and you're, you're trying to 
get an understanding. What is this whole Jesus thing about? He keeps talking about the kingdom of heaven. Where is this kingdom? The kingdom of heaven extends with the kingship of Jesus. It's not a political boundary. There's no border. It's for all people in all places at all times who acknowledge that Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so some of you aren't followers of Jesus and you're trying to figure out how do I reckon with a God who would say something like that? See, he wants you to flourish, be blessed, happy, and move into right relationship with him and then with others. And that if you recognize his will for you and how good and pleasing and perfect his will is for you and you start to walk in relationship with him and you walk in the ways of his kingdom and you align your life with his kingship, you recognize that what he wants for you sounds like a hard word but actually leads to flourishing in life. But if you're in Christ, you have been forgiven so much by God. So it does us well to then be merciful to those who have sinned against us. We recognize that we have been forgiven an insurmountable debt. Therefore, we can forgive a small one. Merciful forgiveness is, it's Jesus-y. It's how it feels. He's the merciful high priest who came not just to forgive sin, but to make a way for sinners to be forgiven. He did not come to just say, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. He actually made a way whereby that forgiveness can be received by us. And so Jesus, you've got to know, he did not come for the perfect and the put together. Like Jesus did not come for the people who have an image and think that, hey, I'm good. I don't need any help. I've actually got this all sorted myself. Jesus came for the screw ups and the sinners like me. Jesus came to the kids who grew up in the wrong families. Jesus grew, he came for those who grew up in ways that would not align with his kingdom. Jesus came for the sexually broken. Jesus came for the drunken and the disorderly. Jesus came for the addicts and the thieves. Jesus came for the criminals and the murderers. Jesus came for those who've done unspeakable things. Jesus came for all of them including those people that you would be intimidated to let into your home. He came for them. Jesus came to the broken and the desperate, yes, and he also came to the proud and the rich, to those who have a veneer of success and the image of everything is perfect in my life. He came because he knows that's fundamentally not true. He came that we all might renounce ourself, remove ourself from the throne of worship in our life, that we might dethrone our idols of comfort and security and that we might enthrone King Jesus and put him in his rightful place and walk according to his ways. Jesus came for all kinds of people and his mercy knows no bounds. Jesus' mercy is wrapped up in kindness to the ones who are in need and forgiveness to the person who is in the wrong. Jesus' mercy knows no bounds. In Christ City, I have to ask, does your mercy have boundaries? Oh, this text challenged me this week. We have people who come to the door of our church building all the time. And by God's grace, it's Dave who answers it. Some of them are just trying to scam you out of something. But do we have bounds on mercy? I'm challenged by that. 
Some people get themselves into horrific situations because of foolish spending and they find themselves flat, broke, and destitute and they come and they say, can you help? And you want to go, you created the circumstances you're in. But Jesus' mercy doesn't have any bounds to it. The inclination of our heart has to be one of care and help. There's people who come and they they say things to you that are horrific and they should not have done and they do things against you that they should not have done and then they come and they say, will you forgive me? Is your mercy bounded? I could forgive you this and this and this and this, but I can't forgive that. How much have you received? It's challenging to me. In the 5th century, there was an African bishop named Augustine. He plainly said, the merciful are those who come to the aid of the needy. Period. In the 16th century, there was one of the Protestant reformers, John Calvin. He said, the merciful are those who who are not only prepared to put up with their own troubles, but who also take on other people's troubles. Several 20th century scholars, pastors, I read, They say mercy is something like pity plus action. So it's not seeing the person who is in a destitute situation and having a feeling of pity toward them. It's pity plus action. I want to move in and do something to help. It's pity plus action. This quote crushed me. This quote that I'm about to read you from Kent Hughes it sort of ruined my day, if I can just be honest with you. And, and there was a guy walking out this morning, and I caught him as he was walking out from the first, and I was walking into the second gathering here. He just goes, you just ruined my day. And I said, I know, I'm sorry. It's just the words of Jesus, and they're really difficult sometimes. And he laughed and said, I needed that. This, this quote ruined my day. Like, it took me a couple hours to recover. I was trying to work on something else, and I kept coming back to it. And I went, oh my goodness, I'm challenged by this. Kent Hughes said, we must never imagine that we are merciful because we feel compassionate towards someone in distress. Mercy means active goodwill. This was well understood by the 19th century British preacher who happened to cross a friend whose horse had just been accidentally killed. While a crowd of onlookers expressed words of sympathy, the preacher stepped forward and said to the loudest sympathizer, I'm sorry, five pounds. How much are you sorry? And after that, he passed the hat. True mercy demands action. In one way, that should not convict me the way that it does. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry, 20 bucks. How sorry are you? I'm sorry, $1,000. How sorry are you? The merciful person is moved to action, to love, and to serve those in need. And the merciful person has a wide lens and a good view of their own sin and God's mercy to them. And so they understand the weaknesses of others and they care and they forgive. I think that's what mercy is. First, what I think mercy is, but let's look second at what mercy does. What does mercy do in our lives? 
showing mercy, being the blessed merciful that Jesus is speaking of. It means that we're walking in relationship with him. That blessed word, being in right relations with God and others, happy and flourishing and being in right relation with God and others tells us something about the nature of the merciful. It's that they're in relationship with him already. And we've repented of our own ways. We've talked about repentance at the end of Matthew chapter 4. It says that you need to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that repentance is a turning away from your focus to turn toward Jesus and align your life with him and trust him in all of his ways, seeking to the best of your ability to obey his commands as he leads you and as he guides you by his Holy Spirit. It's turning away from your sin and your, even, even your good works that were not done to his glory and it's turning and aligning yourself with him. And so the blessed merciful are walking with Jesus already. But this is where the rubber hits the road, Christ city, right here. Here's what mercy does in us. Mercy, this call to mercy, it tests us. It tests the authenticity of our faith. What this beatitude is getting at, I believe, is that those who have experienced the mercy of Jesus and been brought into relationship with him will then show mercy to others, both in the way that we care for the practical needs of the marginalized and the exploited and the poor and the broken and the suffering, and in the way that we then mercifully extend forgiveness to others. We have experienced the forgiveness of Jesus, and therefore we live in a merciful way, and we will be, at the end of the age, shown mercy. Because Our faith has been authenticated by the way that we live. And if we know Jesus, we are to live mercifully. I can't say it better than Kent Hughes again, so I'll quote him. If we have no mercy toward those who are physically and economically in distress, we are not Christians. Notice I did not say we become Christians by showing mercy toward the unfortunate, but that we are not believers if we are unwilling to show mercy to them. How does that land? How about this one? Tim Keller said, if a person has grasped the meaning of God's grace in his heart, he will do justice. If he doesn't live justly, then he may say with his lips that he's grateful for God's grace, but in his heart he is far from him. If he doesn't care about the poor, it reveals that at best he doesn't understand the grace he has experienced, and at worst he has not really encountered the saving mercy of God. Grace should make you just. How about the way we extend forgiveness? Because mercy is not only about care for people on the downtown east side or wherever we find people in situations like this. It's not only that. It's entirely that. It is 100% that, but it's not only that. Mercy is also talking about the way that we can walk and see healing in the broken relationships that are represented in this room. We already looked at the man who was forgiven the insurmountable debt who then went and tried to collect on the small debt. And what did Jesus say about this? I'm not preaching this next text until um, the middle of March, and so you'll forget by then anyways, but I'll go to Matthew chapter 6. The end of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And we all go, yeah, that's great. I like it. That's good news. And then verse 15 says, But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
Jesus, it's been a hard week already. John Stott said, this cannot be, uh, this is not because we can merit mercy by mercy. Meaning that if it's not that you can receive God's mercy just because you show mercy. You can't merit mercy by showing mercy or he says forgiveness by forgiveness. But we, uh, but because we cannot receive the mercy and forgiveness of God unless we repent. And we cannot claim to have repented of our sins if we are unmerciful toward the sins of others. Meaning, if we know how much we have been forgiven, how dare we withhold forgiveness when someone else repents? It's not talking about the person either who's, who's been laboring to forgive who's trying to forgive, who's wrestling with forgiveness. It's not talking about the person who's been battered and beaten and keeps trying to forgive the perpetrator, the one who has sinned against them, and that bitterness keeps taking hold of them, and you just try to flush it out with with forgiveness, and the the bitterness kind of rises up again, and you say, "I I want to forgive this person, Lord, and you flush that bitterness out. It's not talking about that kind of person who is seeking to forgive and having a hard time with it. Like if you desire to forgive, you are aligned with the way of Jesus on this. The the test of mercy here is if you're the kind of person who squarely says, I am not willing to forgive them. What this text and others are saying is that perhaps you don't know him. Because what he's forgiven you is so much greater. This is what mercy does. Mercy tests the authenticity of our faith. The blessed merciful who are in relationship with God extend mercy to others even when it hurts. The test of mercy is that you yourself know you've been mercifully forgiven. Therefore, you extend forgiveness. Frederick Dale Bruner said, fullness of received mercy exists to be passed on, not stored up. Fullness of received mercy, that which you've received from God, exists in you to be passed on, extended to others. Not to just store up as your own. It's supposed to transform you and allow you to extend it. That's what mercy is, and I think that's what mercy does. It tests the authenticity of our faith. Are we walking with Jesus, struggle as we may? Are we walking with him in mercy? But then third, how do we receive mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So you don't receive mercy because you're merciful. You are merciful because you have at once, on the front end of your walk with Jesus, received mercy. And then time and time again as you repent. But it says that you shall receive mercy. What that's getting at is that you and I will one day stand before God. Just like every single person living in this city right now. Seven billion plus on the planet will stand before God. And the authenticity of our faith will be revealed in the way that we lived our life from this moment right now until then. The merciful shall receive mercy because the merciful are walking in the way of Jesus. The blessed merciful have been transformed by the forgiveness and love of God and are doing their best imperfectly as we do it to extend that to others. And we are promised that on that day of judgment, we will stand before the Lord and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You receive mercy. Enter into my rest. There's lots of people who do lots of good, generous, 
philanthropy in our city and they're generous with their money and they're generous with their time, but it does not say, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive a statue in their honor. I would argue that you cannot do biblical mercy apart from an abiding relationship with God. You can do lots of good things, but if you reject Jesus, I don't think it amounts to a hill of beans. You would have been a better neighbor to live next to. But I don't think that means you're in the kingdom of God. And as hard as that sounds, we need to know that we are the blessed merciful. Those of you who walk with Jesus, who extend mercy in the name of Jesus, those who extend mercy in the name of Jesus shall receive ultimate mercy. The mercy we extend, it's a consequence of encountering Jesus. It's not the condition for encountering Jesus. But if you're not willing to extend mercy, you have to ask yourself the question, have I really encountered the crucified and risen one? If the condition for receiving mercy um, was based upon my display of mercy in my life on my own, I would not pass muster. The mercy I'm talking about, care for the people who are in need, forgiveness extended to those who've sinned, it's a consequence of me receiving mercy and forgiveness from Christ, and I want to extend that and be merciful, that mercy tests the authenticity of my faith, means the mercy I must have in caring for those and forgiving others, that that is a consequence of the blessed relationship I have with God in Christ. And the only way to be sure that you'll receive mercy on the day of judgment is to repent of your sin, ask God to forgive you, and align yourself with his way, the way of Jesus. And then all through your life as you walk with him, the authenticity of that faith gets revealed. Time and time again, you succeed, you fail, you succeed, you fail, you repent of sin, you repent of bitterness, you repent of indifference like me this week. And you're formed more into the kind of person that God wants to use in this life. See, our merciful deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. Our merciful deeds are not the basis of our salvation. They are the evidence of our salvation. The basis of our salvation is putting all of our hope, all of our trust in the work of Jesus. Where I said earlier, he removes the wrath of God upon us takes it upon himself, and dies in our place, atoning for our sin. And if you don't see the crucifixion of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins as the most merciful act in all of history, I think you'll never, be on, uh, you'll never understand what true biblical mercy looks like. So I beg you, if you look at the crucifixion of Jesus as a historical event that happened and you can't really figure out why everybody's still so fussed about it 2,000 years later, I would beg you to look at that as the most merciful act that has ever been done because it was done for you and it was done for me in an ultimate way. But when you comprehend the love of God, the depth of the love of God, the holiness of God, the necessity for sin to be judged, when you comprehend that and you see that Jesus stepped in and was judged in our place, then you understand what mercy looks like and you can begin your journey of walking mercifully before others. And your heart will be inclined toward merciful, uh, a merciful life forevermore. This is the call that we have. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy.
Would you stand with me as we respond today? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.